Welcome to the journey with Mpo Podcast, a sacred space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpo. Hello, journey with Mpo friends and family. In the studio with us today are two of my longtime friends, Jessica and Naledi. I don't recall how we ended up being friends, but what I can tell you is that I've known these phenomenal women for about nine years. Our low maintenance yet enjoyable friendship started in college and has been blossoming ever since. Over the last year, we spent several occasions on WhatsApp video calls, checking in, encouraging one another, and reflecting on our lives. This episode content is inspired by conversations and topics we have discussed during those video calls. I am excited to share my sisterhood circle with you. Each of us are uniquely different, yet we blend together incredibly well. This aspect of our friendship will shine through as we share our experiences with you today. But before we get started, I would like to make recommendations on how to engage with this episode's content. Please note that we are not medical professionals nor individuals academically certified to offer any medical advice. The opinions and experiences that will be shared are based on personal experiences and should only be construed as such. Before pursuing any insight we provide, please feel empowered to seek medical professional help and conduct your own research. We would love for you to take the time consuming this content. Certain parts of it may feel triggering with topics such as suicide, anxiety, depression, and other mental health challenges. If or when you feel triggered, please disengage with the content until you feel sufficiently grounded to continue again. Be open, be ready not only to receive us as we are, but to also welcome our perspectives with respect. Okay, that's all my formal nitty gritty stuff. Um, let's get started with a mic check. And for this mic check, we have agreed that it might be a good idea to play the singing bowl to just kind of ground us. It's evening time in South Africa, so we're just going to ground our energy and get ready to get into some deep, good, nitty gritty conversations. So here goes. I have the Tibetan singing bowl. And so let's see how this goes.
so nice. I always like it when the singing bowl just plays that clean sound and it's like I'm not gonna lie, things got very zen. <laughs> Almost put me into a trance. <laughs> That's like grounded energy. When I whenever I don't hear that, I'm like, okay, this energy is centered, it feels good. There's gonna be some good stuff that come up. Good evening, friends, <laughs> sisters. <laughs> How Hello, are you guys friend. doing? <laughs> How's it going? Good. Is it really good? It's as good as it's going to be for today. There we go. And that's an acceptable answer, Jessica. Things are good nice. on my side too. <laughs> nice. I like that. Speaking of as good as it's going to get. Our first topic for today is mental health. So we start heavy, but I think it's good for the audience to kind of get a background on us. So um, what kind of mental health challenges have you experienced? So let's start with Jess. Um, I think a better question is what kind of mental health challenges haven't you experienced? Uh, <laughs> right. at, the, at this point in my adult life, I've experienced... Uh, the full spectrum of mental health challenges mm -hmm. it's it's ups and downs um obviously anxiety depression you know stock standard like if you don't have it have you even lived kind of thing um anxiety for me is a lot worse and then depression happens in its episodes so it's not consistent mm. it's not clear it's an up and down and you don't really know how low your lowest is going to be um but mm -hmm. yeah that's just a summary of it um and anxiety in general encompasses so much it's overthinking mm -hmm. it's over preparing it's linked to so many different aspects of life so it's really multifaceted but i don't think it's deep and heavy sometimes it's inspiring sometimes it's good my anxiety, mm. I'm quite proud of it. It makes me do really amazing work and really good things. And um, I've spoken mm. about that before, but for a, a big portion of it, it can be a struggle, but it's mm. given me so many gifts as well. And I don't want to forsake that in speaking about mental health issues. Um, mm. So that's just a general summary of me and my mental health issues <laughs> it's obviously very complex but on a high level that's that's what mm -hmm. i can offer yeah i can definitely resonate with this uh, with the anxiety being occasional and the depression being infrequent and never knowing how high the highs are going to be and how low the lows are going to be i can also resonate with the inspiration i feel like i wouldn't be an overachiever in various areas of my life without it. I feel like it was kind of a Pandora's box, both a gift and a curse at the same time. And so on the days where it's cursing me, I'm really down and out. But on the days where it's blessing me, I'm overachieving and working on my goals and staying on top of things and feeling really good, feeling really motivated. So thank you for saying that. Um, what about you, Naledi? Uh, like the two of you, I have gone through my own 
journey with depression and an anxiety disorder. Um, I'm basically the flip of Jessica in my experience is that my depression is constant and my anxiety comes in waves. Mm. And I think that has been the biggest struggle with what I've gone through is um, my new normal is numb. And on days where my actual normal, those are now my like great days when that used to be my everyday. Um, But like the two of you were saying, there's so many parts of our personality, our lives and the way we do things that is rooted um, from our anxiety. Uh, I think Mm. we became friends. You mentioned that you don't know how we became friends and how like it's lasted and it's, it's been so organic and it's such an easy friendship. And in varsity, it was that we were all kind of high achievers, a bit like um, we were perfectionists to some level. Um, we didn't know it's because we all had mental illness issues. <laughs> and then years later, you look back and you're like, look at us kindred spirits going through anxiety together <laughs> without even knowing it. Um, but I think the only thing where... I feel like my experience differed with you guys in your perspective of your mental illness is that while some elements I agree make me better in a sense that it makes me an overachiever, it makes me work harder, it makes me produce really like high quality work. Something I've thought about and experienced in the past few years is what is my actual personality outside of my mental illness like I've always been called like a control freak a need freak a perfectionist and all these things and I say oh that's me and then you grow up and you realize no no, that's the mental illness and you kind of wonder what is my actual personality outside of this one thing that's been controlling me for so long I've never thought (laughs) about that have you thought about that Jess I I've never actually Uh thought about who I am outside of like the anxiety attacks or the paranoia um have you just you said you have i have yeah and i experienced me and my personality in it's in like these moments where there's no depressive hold there's no anxiety it's just like a moment of freeness and whatever I do in that moment I know it's coming from me because I'm not planning something um, I'm not overthinking something it's like a mental freeness and over time you kind of collect memories of those bursts um, where you can be yourself and you kind of piece together who you are as a person and it's difficult to differentiate like is this the depression coming out is it my anxiety is it trauma that's fueling my reactions right now or is this who I am as a person and it's only in those like worry-free moments that I know truly that this is the kind of person that I am and this is what I enjoy and it's like moments that spur like pure happiness and you know that that's that's kind of what you who you are um and I mean you can apply it to moments of panic as well but I find often in moments associated with negative emotions um, my response is more driven by anxiety and preparedness than it is a natural reaction like mm. I'm not um, just naturally inclined to do something in a moment of panic I've panicked so much in my life that I've prepared all of my responses ahead of time um, and I know that's not really me that's just memory jogging itself and kicking in mm. so um 
yeah, I think it's those moments of freeness that you get mm. to piece together your personality and who you are. Mm. I think I hear you saying in the moments where I am outside of my head, because a lot of it happens inside of our heads, right? So in the moments that I'm outside of my head and fully present with what is going on and fully engaged, losing track of time or not even thinking about what's coming next, what do I have to do tomorrow, what project is pending, what thing I could be better doing with my time right now. And just being present for that moment just allows for you to be in a space where you can be yourself and you are open to showing yourself. I think that I sometimes experience those moments, but because I'm not thinking about them so deeply, they just feel like moments. But now reflecting back with your perspective, I'm like, oh, I actually maybe do have a personality outside of mental health challenges. So I'm not just going to flip the coin on you guys with this question. I'm actually going to answer it myself as well. I have never been formally diagnosed with a mental health challenge. I've been in and out of therapy for about seven years, but I've never been given a formal diagnosis of like, this is what you have, or this is what's going on with you. I have read up a little bit on anxiety and depression, and I do feel like I do have anxiety and depression. Um, again, the depression being occasional, um, the anxiety being more of a daily thing in my life existing with backup plans consistently, like what happens when this happens, what happens when this happens. So a lot of it in my head. Um, I'm familiar as well with PTSD. I think that I told my therapist about living in South Africa and she was like, wow, it sounds like everybody in South Africa has PTSD. So <laughs> yeah. she might Somewhere. be onto something. <laughs> We all need therapy. Dear South Africans, go to therapy. I'm joking. I'm, Maybe, everyone seriously. in the world needs therapy. I concur. I agree. I think that therapy can be helpful for a variety of aspects, even if it isn't mental health challenges. Right now, my therapist and I are working on career goals. You know, right, we are like, I'm calling it two minutes to 30, but we are like two years to 30. And so... <laughs> We are evolving and trying to solidify who we are in our careers, whether those are chosen careers or careers that we went to school for. But a lot's going on. Like, yo, yeah. a lot's going on. And so over and above the PTSD, I also feel like I experience mood disorder. I have like days where I'm really, really high energy and I'm happy. And lately what's been happening is that in those happy moments, I'm almost like, when is it going to come? Because I know if I get really high enough, there's going to be this poof, drop. And all of a sudden I'm like crying and I don't want to be here. And I'm like tethering into depression almost for a couple of days. And then we start right back up and we go, okay, okay, okay. Super happy, super happy. And now boom, down again. Um, I have in the past not used any, um, prescribed medication for it, but I've taken things over the counter and I've used things like meditation, exercise, diet. We've spoken extensively about it, but just spoke earlier about um, being purely happy and being present in the moment and recognizing those moments as bits of her personality. And I wanted to know 
how would you guys describe your mental health? Like what does a good mental health day feel like versus experiencing a mental, a mental health challenge? Naledi, let's go with you first. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I can relate to exactly what Jess was talking about when you've got spurs of what feels like bliss. It's kind of like nothing crazy amazing is happening in your life. But in that moment, you are so content with that little bit of whatever you're doing. And it's Mm. that contentment that like I'm really, that's what I look forward to in life now. I think Mm. it's very easy to be all doom and gloom because I was um, professionally diagnosed. And I was diagnosed about three years ago. I had a full-blown anxiety attack, my first one ever at a work function. And I ended up in hospital. And... Yeah, that's when my mental illness journey started um, with a bang. <laughs> so I very quickly found out and was diagnosed. And moving forward from that time, my life has completely changed. Um, not negatively or positively, mm-hmm. my mindset has changed. Instead of just going with the flow and living the way I had been living, I had to take a step back and realize that the way I've been living my first few 20 years, obviously as a baby, I'm just chilling. (laughs) But let's say the last 10 years of being an adolescent and a young adult, I have literally just been in panic mode. I've been Mm. frantic. I've literally just been distracting myself with things like school, with things like hobbies, with things like friends and family and all this stuff that's happening in my life. And I had a wonderful life. Um, Mm. But once you're diagnosed and a health professional kind of makes you take a look at the way you've been living and Mm. properly understand that while you didn't feel like you were going through something, everything Mm. that you've experienced and everything you've been doing has come from a place of panic, a place of anxiety. Mm. So moving forward, you then decide to make a conscious effort to truly do things that you want to do things that are good for you, not things that your mental illness is telling you to do. And I don't know. I think it's been a wonderful thing because now I live for the moments of bliss that Jess was talking about where I'm not doing things to impress my friends or my family or my parents or do what is expected of me, but I'm working towards and living for those moments where I could truly just be eating a bowl of popcorn in my garden and my dog steals my shoe and I laugh from like a genuine deep place in that moment I'm not thinking about work I'm not thinking about money I'm not thinking about my parents or it's just it's it's a level of pure joy and that's when you realize life isn't about all this other stuff that your mind is constantly crammed with there are so many things that stress you in life and you think that if you just get through these stresses or if you just keep working hard and being sad for now and being overworked for now and being stressed for now, there's going to be like a pot of gold at the end where like you can finally take a breath. And when you're diagnosed with a mental illness, you realize that that's not the case. You need to find moments where you can take a deep breath just so every day is worth living. You're not surviving or getting through it or waiting for 10 years from now when you're financially settled and you've got a family and your parents are happy for you and everything's good. But you enjoy tonight after this when Jess is having a glass of wine with a significant other or Paul goes and picks up her baby and just smells her. Like that's what you're living for. 
So like the diagnosis really has been like an eye opener and I can properly start to work towards enjoying life the right way. Not for validation, not for other people, but for like those moments where you just, you take a deep breath and you're like, God damn it, I am so happy. This feels so good. Oh, I'm just like, <laughs> spoke about my baby and I was like, oh, yes. Where's the baby? <laughs> those are the small things in life that bring you the most joy. But those are the things that are clouded by bills, that are clouded by work, mm. that are clouded by, I have to go see this friend and show up like this to work and this car needs to get fixed and like we need to pay this and pay that. And I like, get it. That's realistic. That's life. Mm. But where Jess recognizes those small moments and you don't, and Paul, you've mentioned that you live it and you're like, oh, that was nice, but you don't actually resonate with the fact that in this moment, this feels so good. I think if you, I don't know if you can make a conscious effort to do that, but the more you recognize those things and the more you like, you fully embrace them when they're happening, the more happy your life starts to feel because you properly just appreciate the small things. And then life doesn't feel like it's always tumbling on top of you. Mm, nice. To that point of conscious effort to be present for those moments, I've started to ask myself, in those moments, where are you? Like when the Sadie's playing and we are laughing and she's like over the moon and I'm laughing and it's a really funny moment. And we're in stitches. I ask my brain, where are you? Because I wanted to be here, to be here in the now. Don't freak out about you have to leave for work in five minutes you still have to do this and clean that and go there and text this person and call this person I just say to my brain where are you and can you be here now to recognize that this moment she's not going to be this small for a very long mm-hmm. time she's not going to find me this interesting <laughs> for a very long time like this is a moment of pure bliss and can I be here with it now all of me here now with it. And that kind of just kicks me into that recognition, that pure bliss that we're talking about. And to your point about living in survival mode, I think that we are taught or maybe through visual content and school and so much more that we've always got to look to the future. Like the present moment doesn't matter and we always have to work to the person we want to be five years from now. I think it starts from basic questions like what do you want to be when you grow up instead of what makes you happy now where you are, you know? And the more we start to come back from trying to go to the future and come back from trying to live in the past and we're just here, present and fully here for whatever is here, we can start to feel much better and less stressed and less anxious and less depressed about, you know, a lot of the depression is about maybe sometimes comparing yourself with your peers and people who seem to be successful. We'll talk about social media later and how that hasn't Mm -hmm. impacted us. And so just being present and here, but Jess, you, do you have anything else to add about what your successful mental health day looks like? I think, um, a successful mental health day for me is a day um, or any day that I'm empowered enough to take back because in 
in all my days, I'm just giving. I'm giving to my work. I'm giving to other people. But when I start giving to myself, then I know that 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 was a day that I was selfish enough to put myself first and it didn't feel bad and I didn't feel guilty. Um, And it's taking back in those small moments. It's like, I know I should be technically, according to my anxiety, doing this now for this reason, for this outcome, for this future event. But right now, I really just want to do this. And I am brave enough to actually do it and not feel guilty about it. And it's so it's just it's taking back small moments every day for myself. And that's a good mental health day. I'm like, yeah, I put myself Mm. first. Uh, I didn't feel bad about it. And I didn't die at the end of it. Nothing terrible (laughs) happened. And then you're like, why was I catastrophizing this in the first place? Um, so that's a good mental health day. Consists of not overthinking, putting myself first, those moments of joy and enjoyment. For me, that's that's a really good mental health day. Mm. I just realized now that I did not answer your question in part. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. I did not. I, I took you your sure question did. and then I climbed over it and then I hit it into another direction. <laughs> but I'm going to make it. <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Thank you. That's not why I kept going with it. In my mind, I was like, what was the question again? It was <laughs> solid gold, Naledi. I was just about to say about the pretending part, but go ahead, thank share you. more. Um, but I was going to say a good mental health day is a day where I don't think about my mental illness Mm. and a day where I am. So, you know, when you've got anxiety, there's a feeling in your stomach or in your chest or in your head or all three. (laughs) And sometimes there are days where that, that tightness, it just isn't there. Yeah. And that is a good mental health day. Like when like, your body is actually relaxed. Like your muscles aren't tense. Yeah. You're, you're breathing normally. You're not in any sort of physical pain. That is a peak mental health day. Mm. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. Definitely the tightness in the chest, the, t- the dipping in the stomach, and then yeah. the like brain clutter or the brain fog that just doesn't allow for you to think and express exactly. yourself as clearly. Um, for me, when all three are present, it feels like a panic attack. I'm like, yeah. yep, this is like full-blown panic attack because I'm not able to, at, in those moments, think about what it is that I can do to care for myself and to get back to that place of free body, open chest, no dip in the stomach. And I realized I've been trying to find the correlation between my food and mental health. And sometimes an anxiety attack is something as simple as I haven't had anything to eat. So my adrenals are responding to hunger and I'm thinking something's horribly wrong. And so I'm having this anxiety attack. But when I stop and go, when was the last time you had a glass of water? When was the last time you had something to eat? And if I can navigate my way into the kitchen or into like a nutritious meal, then I start to feel like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. So it's like hanger plus like anxiety (laughs) put into one sometimes, you know. Interesting. Um, Definitely grateful for you guys being open to talking about this content because I think that it's something that's not openly embraced, more especially, I think, um, I 
I don't want to shun down on South Africa, but I sometimes feel like there's a stigma still. And even in the United States, it still exists, but I feel more comfortable here just saying, oh, my therapist, oh, I went to therapy. You know, I think that in our generation, there is the, maybe the need and the pressure to pretend as if everything's okay in your life and that there's nothing going on. And so we go on social media and we post the best parts of our lives and we look our best selves and we edit ourselves to look even better than our best selves. And so how would you guys say social media has impacted and continues to impact our mental health? Any one of you guys can go. (laughs) Jess, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I know there's a lot of movements for no filters and post the real you and that kind of thing. But in my everyday life, I'm so inundated with negativity, with negative news, with a lot of stuff going on. Mm. I love having a place where I just see the best of everyone, where I see everyone happy, (laughs) having a good time. It doesn't make me feel jealous. It doesn't make me feel like I'm missing out. It doesn't make me Mm. feel like I need to lose weight, gain weight, change my body. Um, I love Mm. it. I think it's this amazing place where people get to show the best of themselves. And this is like Instagram in particular. Facebook is like it's a place where people go to complain and notoriously and then TikTok at the moment is my favorite. I've seen such realness. So TikTok's not just the happy dances and that kind of thing. I've learned real things that I would never have had access to. I would never have even known to search it. It's just this wealth of information and perspectives. And I have a genuine love for social media. Um, I think it adds such value to my life and it fills moments in time where I don't know what to do with myself. It stops me from overthinking sometimes and just seeing videos of things that make me happy or change my mind about something or just give me new information that I get to focus on and be like, I never knew this before. I can learn a new skill. I can deep dive into a topic that I had no information about instead of getting stuck in my own thought patterns about something that doesn't actually matter at the end of the day. So I've got a genuine love for it. I can see the dark side to it. I can understand why people are very negatively affected. I've seen the girls getting surgery so that they look like a filter and then in five years that filter won't exist and their face will be permanently changed and they may not be able to change it back. So Mm. I understand that. Um, I think it's like anything. You drink responsibly, you do things responsibly. (laughs) And I think if we create a safe platform for people that is honest and real, like, listen, we all know this isn't my real life, but this is just a glimpse of something flippin' amazing that I did and I want you yeah. all to see it. Mm-hmm. Great, great. But we must do it responsibly. We mustn't make people feel bad about themselves for not living up to those things. And I think especially in South Africa, it can be very disheartening for a lot of people to see things that they don't think they'll ever be able to achieve. Um, there mm-hmm. is such a huge poverty gap here that for it's inconceivable for some people seeing what they see on social media to ever do that. Mm. And for a majority of the population, it's getting on a plane. Something as simple mm. as an aeroplane ride, the majority mm. of our population will never do. So mm. it has many sides. For my life in particular, it's been positive and I enjoy it, but I can mm. see how damaging it is can be to people and disheartening but in the same breath it can be something to work towards someone really wants something 
that much, then it might give them that inspiration to go after it, to be able to have that experience and something to look forward to, especially Mm. in dark places when we're facing fraud and corruption in our government and poverty Mm. and it looks like there's no way out. So it can be a beacon of hope, but it can also Mm. dishearten people. Hmm. (laughs) So it sounds like your algorithms for um, Instagram and TikTok are working out really well for you. you. (laughs) Not all the time. Sometimes they call me out and sometimes I see things that I don't want to see. I'm like, I really didn't need this today. And I'll be in tears at two o'clock in the morning for absolutely no reason. So the algorithm, it gets me back sometimes. (laughs) Like for all those happy times, payback. Say again, my lady. I was like, her algorithm was like, you got too comfortable, Jessica. Yep. <laughs> we caught you slipping. Best you know. <laughs> That's a very good perspective to have. I'm happy that you have found these pockets of joy on the online space and that you are able to consume it responsibly and f- have feel-good moments from it. I do think that, to your point, it does take an intentionality behind it. I've gone into my followership and said, whose content do I want to see very top of my timeline? Because Instagram does does things where you don't see some people's content and you see other people's content over and over and over. And Mm. sometimes those people aren't sharing positive, happy, go content. And I'm not asking people to come to social media to do that. But I do think that enough of a good balance of the joy moments and a good balance of the real people can really make your social media experience a positive one. Um, It's a time commitment to go in and sift through all that stuff to see what is it that you want to get from it. And it's also having to know that maybe one doesn't want to use social media as a soothing tool for when you are experiencing a a mental health challenge because it may not be like that the algorithm may be like okay it's payback time today I'm not going to soothe you I'm going to make you cry at 2 a.m you know so (laughs) finding other ways to maybe just use social media for entertainment and have other ways to handle when you are experiencing a mental health challenge but what about you Naledi? Um I was gonna say I I'm kind of on the same page with Jessica with regards to the effect it has on me personally. Um, I rarely get triggered by anything on social media that really affects my mental health in any way whatsoever. Um, But I'd like to point out that we are three people that are very well informed when it comes Mm. to mental health and mental illness. So we, without knowing it, are very responsible social media users. Um, We're very aware that this isn't real or like, okay, I'm proud of you, girl, good job. Or like, oh, that that looks fine. That's awesome. But there are millions and millions and millions of people in this country who are not nearly as self-aware as we are because mental illness forces you to be more um, Mm self-aware who aren't as well-informed with regards to what the role of social media is. Like Jessica's saying, obviously people are just posting the highlights of their lives and the highlights of their trips and all the fun stuff and good stuff. Mm. But that sense of being like, obviously that's the case. That's not a a feeling or an understanding that everyone shares. Mm. So while 
for us personally, it's not a trigger or anything like that. I can understand. I genuinely do believe that it causes more harm than it does good, only because mm. social media is no longer used as what it's supposed to be used for, which is like Jess is saying, just a little bit of entertainment, like a little bit of a distraction, like a way to see what your friends up to. Now, social media mm. is explicitly for showing off, for um, showing people what you have, for showing off your body, um, for portraying your life as something it's not for the validation of others if social media didn't have any sort of interactive face like people didn't like people didn't comment all you could really do is just see what your friends are up to it wouldn't be nearly as successful or as big a deal as it is now it is that gratification and validation that you get from millions or hundreds of tens of people that makes it so addictive it's 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 an element of what is this person's life what is this person up to right now that i'm not up to what are other people doing that i'm not doing and that aspect of it can be very dangerous like jessica said um and that's what i'm saying for me personally it's a good it's it's some fun if anything i get triggered by like the false accusations and the lies like i'm very argumentative, you guys know this. But I'm also <laughs> I also dislike the idea of people taking advantage of people, people sharing false information that endangers other people and just spreading ignorance. Like I, I do not appreciate any of that and it frustrates me because social media has now also become uh, a place for people to to get information. Um, like Jessica's saying, you can educate yourself on many a topic on social media, mm. but like the internet, it's also a perfect place for people to spread inaccurate information. Mm. Um, so it triggers me in a sense that it makes me angry because I'm just like, this is a lie. You're endangering people. And like mm. to take it not too seriously, one of my pet peeves is vaginal steams. I'm sorry, guys. Every time I see someone posting about vaginal steams, I want to report them. There is no scientific evidence behind it. And it is so dangerous and unnecessary. Oh, it grates my tits. <laughs> so yeah, that. I beg your pardon. What is I feel it? called out. Why do I feel called out? Do you do vaginal steams? Boss, stop it. Stop. Don't make me send you like links and articles. No, your vagina does not need to be steamed. It's a regulated system. My vagina's been through itself. a lot, okay? It's been through a exactly. lot. It it's done steam. a lot of amazing things without steam. So what are you doing? <laughs> okay, so God vibes to my <laughs> Sometimes your, your vagina also needs to chill out. Sometimes a little no, don't do it. It's actually not very good for you. But I found a quote on social media about social media that I thought um was quite interesting. And the quote says, um, social media has made perfect look achievable. And so now real has become undesirable. And that's one of the the toxic, right? Mm. So that's one of the biggest toxic traits of social media is now Mm. our mundane, everyday, chilled, happy lives. Don't receive the validation that other people's over-the-top, dramatic, exaggerated, luxurious lifestyles get. So now we feel like we are not doing well enough. Mm. And even if you're not consciously thinking that, 
it's what society is doing. It's it's with uh, marketing. It's what we see on TV. It's what we hear on radio ads. We always need to do better. We always need to level up. And social media really knows how to just kind of like make that like one big invalidation bomb. Mm. And it's that effect, that underlying simmering thing that like, I'm happy at home eating ice cream, doing nothing. Um, Maybe I post a picture of it, only five people like it. So-and-so is in the Bahamas because they just got a jag from their new husband and they're getting millions of likes. And it's very easy to be like, oh, that's good for them. Good job. I'm going to like that. Without you knowing it, you are already making comparisons in your mind. You're already like, oh, I don't do that. Even if it's not a negative thing, you can be like, oh, I've got none of that, but I'm happy. You're already making that comparison. Yeah. And that being an everyday thing, even if you check social media three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening, every single day of your life, it catches up to you even when you don't realize yeah. yeah. I think that you guys have brought such a good balance of perspective from the positive side as well as the dark side of social media. Um, to your point, Naledi, about the likes and the counts feeling like validation, there's a documentary on Netflix called um, Social Dilemma. And yes, one of the that. studies that they've done is that somebody liking somebody else's content on social media is the equivalent of having like a cocaine hit. The, the high that you kind of get when you do get a like is so um, intoxicating that you're like, I want more of this. I have to do more of this. So you find people not only going to the Bahamas for themselves, but going to the Bahamas for social media for their next big post. What is it that I'm going to put out there that's going to give me this hit that I'm going to keep living off of and feel good, like a million people like me, 400,000 people like me. And, you know, if one person doesn't like me, what the heck? I'm popular on social media. I have this space where I'm somebody and I'm seen and felt with this. I don't know if I want to say that's the real version of themselves, but the created online version of themselves is much more appreciated and they can sit back and be comfortable in that almost self-soothing, but in a different way. I agree completely. Moving the conversation offline to in our homes with our families and with our friends, what has your experience been with attempting to engage family and or friends with conversations about mental health challenges or just general mental health conversations? It doesn't have to be about challenges per se. Jess, you can go. Friends is always easy. I feel like we're all on the same level. We all resonate so deeply with one another. And I've not come across a friend, and maybe I just have a small friend group, but I've not come across a friend who hasn't at some point experienced what I've experienced um, in a different way, but just who can be like, that happened to me too. And this is how I deal with, this is my therapist. This is the antidepressants that I'm on. We speak about it so freely. I'm like, oh, I went to my therapist last week and she told me this, and this was the lesson. um, And this is what I was struggling with. And I think you can really apply that to your life. That for me is easy. Um, Even in the workplace, I don't hide it. Um, I openly tell my boss when, I'm anxious when I'm very depressed um, and there's no negative reaction. The only negative reaction is like, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. What can I do to assist you? How can I help you? 
Um, and then on a, a family level, a lot of people in my family struggle with anxiety and depression. So it's just a, like, what medication did you take this week kind of conversation and how many panic attacks? So it's lighthearted. We know mm. that things can get really sad. They can get really deep. And because mm. we experience such that, that like heavy sadness, that deep, like you can't even see your way out of it. Um, mm. We like to keep it light as a family, something that we can joke about, something that we can just be human about. We don't always have to focus on the negative stuff, but if we want to, it's a safe space to to talk. Um, I find sometimes with um, parents, not, not just my parents, but parents in general, they mm. have experienced anxiety and depression but they've never been able yeah. to put a label on it so when you're speaking to them about it they're just like well just don't feel that way or mm. maybe if you exercise more or get out the house or mm. um, if you just get that promotion then you won't be feeling so stressed about getting that promotion kind of thing mm. so I feel like there's a disconnect a, a generational mm. disconnect um, which I struggle a little bit with because it makes me not want to talk about it because I'm like mm. the amount of knowledge that I have to impart just so that you can get to some sort of semblance of empathy with me is mm. so mentally draining that I'd rather just say, I'm fine. I'm mm. good. How are you? How's everything going? Instead of like, I'm deeply depressed and I can't stop crying. How was your day? Like, because I'll be like, oh, why did someone die? It's like, no, it's completely <laughs> irrational. There's no rational. There, it might be rational, but not right now. Yeah. I'm crying for no reason. I looked at a brick and it looked a bit funny. And here we are. And I'm in tears. Um, so I think with people my age and younger, we, we talk about it every day. It's there's mm. no one who's not going through it. And if there is like, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to not have some sort of mental divergence from normal? And what is normal if there is normal? Like yeah. people who don't get depressed, what does it feel like? I really want to know. Um, but yeah, I think with internal with friends and um, friends is easy. Family is also pretty easy. But in terms of like broader communities that generational disconnect it's so clear and it's so apparent and it just makes talking mm. about it unappealing so you're kind mm. of waiting especially in like a work environment and that kind of thing for those people to go out of the the work system so that you don't have mm. to do any explaining and you're just waiting for like millennials in the organization mm. so that you can just all have a safe space you don't need to try and convince a boomer or whatever I don't really like to call them boomers because anyone who disagrees with something new age like okay boomer but yeah it's just that generational disconnect is there and mm. it's not my responsibility to educate people on that nice preach Jessica nice. I like <laughs> it I would go as far as adding I'm working on navigating the challenges that are presented to me regarding mental health. So it's not my responsibility to kind of stop and also train other people and teach yeah. people what it exactly. looks like, because you, you don't have the mental nor physical bandwidth to sustain that. Yeah. So good. Speaking about your career, Jess, and how you've advocated for mental health in that space on occasions where you felt that it would benefit you and your team. I'm excited for our conversation about career, but 
we're going to have this episode just be mental health aspect because it's been very good. It's an hour deep diving into that. And so in the next part, we'll talk about career. And then in the third part, we'll talk about relationships because there's a lot to talk about there. (laughs) Shake, shake, shake. (laughs) Tell me about you. Naledi, um, has your experience been similar to Jess or has it been a little bit different? Um, Friends, family, mental health? It's it's similar in certain aspects and then very different in others. Um, yes. I think we're going to have to mention the fact that in this country especially, black families mm. <laughs> and discussing things like mental illness is a, a whole thing on its own. Um, luckily I've got very woke parents. So a lot of my experience is actually exactly like Jessica's. Um, they understand to some extent and my mom herself had postpartum depression when she had my sister. She's been dealing with depression for years now. She has anxiety. So she kind of got it quite quickly without me having to delve into it because again she's part of that generation where like they didn't diagnose you and then you did something about it you just tweaked something in your life so you coped for a little bit longer Mm. um so I think she's very understanding because she experienced very similar things to what I'm experiencing right now Mm. so she has that level of understanding with us not having to like commune without me having to educate her like Jess is saying Mm. um because she literally experienced it she's She's very understanding of my experience right now. Um, my father is a very open-minded man. So I think when, and he's a doctor. So when other doctors are saying this is what's going on, he's very open to learning, understanding, and taking their professional opinion to heart. So my parents have been very supportive and understanding and really cool about the whole thing. Um, my friends, it's a different story. Um, Jess said that like not all her friends I think you said that all of your friends to some extent have experienced it and you don't know whether it's because you have a small circle Um, Mm. it's that but at the same time I think it's because you've got the right circle Mm. I think (laughs) no genuinely I think um, it's almost ludicrous for someone our age in our country trying to have a career and start a family and have a a personal life, romantic life, family life to not experience some level of stress. And it doesn't have to jump to mental illness, but Mm -hmm. there is a very unhealthy culture of of being overworked in this country and a very unhealthy culture of you always need to do better. Whatever you're doing now, it's not good enough. Soon you're going to be 30 and you need to be doing better. So there is always like an underlying level of stress, no matter who you are. The level of that stress obviously will differ, but there is always an underlying level of stress. Mm. So a lot of the time, the right people, even if they don't suffer from mental illness, to some extent, they will try understand or be empathetic based on their own experience with whatever level of stress they've been through. Mm. Um, Then you have a circle that maybe aren't great people. Um, Mm. (laughs) And I've got a small circle of friends and then I've got like a wider circle of friends and the wider circle are definitely the people who don't understand it, who are very dismissive about it, who aren't trying to understand it. And you just kind of realize that 
either your friends aren't great people (laughs) or there are so many hard-headed, ignorant people who are not trying to learn. And it mostly it's that. I don't believe that everyone's a bad person. I think some people just can't be bothered. Some people aren't trying to understand what you're going through. Some people aren't trying to be empathetic. Some people aren't trying to look at their own mental illness. They're just trying to get the bag. They're just trying to get married. They're just trying to have a child. Like, And I think the biggest thing in this country, or maybe it's not even this country, I think it's a generational thing, is people don't prioritize mental health. I think... It's not that people don't care about depression or don't know they have it or don't know they have anxiety, but it's something that they can't focus on right now. Like right now, there are more important things to deal with. Like there's bills, there's children, there's family, there's work. And and that becomes the problem. It's not that people aren't willing always to go to therapy. It's just that that's not important right now. I can either use this money to pay for my insurance and my medical aid that doesn't cover therapy, or I can go see professionals. And mental health is not on the top of a lot of people's list. And it's a shame. And it's people like Jessica that make me really happy because I think she has made a point to work in an environment, in a working environment, first of all, that's willing to understand and be empathetic to that. Not just because they're good people, but because productive employees are healthy employees. And I think that's the bare minimum we can ask from companies. It's, you don't have to be empathetic or understand it or educate yourself on it, but just know, mm-hmm. just like any physical health issues affect your employee's productivity, mental health issues will affect your employee's productivity. So it's in your best interest to make sure that everyone is good. And we need to have more conversations like this. Everywhere I go, I blurt out I've got mental health issues. Everywhere I go, brides, meetings, <laughs> weddings. Like you're going to know. Literally, because as soon as we stop stigmatizing it, the more people mm. will be more willing to open up about it. Mm. And I don't believe that all of my friends don't have mental health issues. I, I've interacted with these people. They've got issues. <laughs> No, truly. And because we've educated ourselves so much, and like you're saying, boy, you haven't been clinically diagnosed by a healthcare professional, but you've done the research. And that's mm-hmm. all it takes, guys. Just do some research. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, you guys need to focus and prioritize mental health because you will fall into a pit of despair. You will yeah. hit a wall. And At some point... Mm. genuinely because that's that's the nature of mental illness the more you ignore it the worse it's going to be when you explode and that's why i talk freely about it because people even realize that like hey this bitch has it she seems fairly upbeat and happy mm-hmm. i am an upbeat and happy person i'm just upbeat happy and have depression and anxiety yeah. you can too and and that's the thing Everywhere we go, talk about it. Talk to your bosses about it. Talk to your family about it. And if it makes them uncomfortable, talk to them even more about it. Because there's nothing more uncomfortable than black people trying to talk about feelings. Black families, not black Black yeah. families. Like, no one's trying to talk about feelings. Yeah. People just want to know why you don't have a job. <laughs> Genuinely. They're like, why don't you have a job? Like, nah, man, I'm trying to handle my depression and anxiety. And they're like, yeah, but why don't you have a job? <laughs> And I'm like, no, I get really sad and I start being productive and I just can't see the light. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get all that, but why don't you have a job? And <laughs> Jess is 100% correct in that sometimes it's so exhausting 
just to inform people about the basics of mental illness. We're not even diving, just the basics. Yeah. It's so exhausting just to communicate that with people. It's easy to say, I'm fine. And that is part of the problem. Yeah. People who are going through the most will always tell you that they're fine. Mm-hmm. And they'll try to convince themselves that they're fine. And mm-hmm. that is part of the problem is the stigma still goes on. People aren't mm-hmm. going to seek help. People aren't going to talk about it. People aren't mm-hmm. going to be honest. And people will keep suffering in silence. People will keep committing suicide. People will keep hitting walls and having full-blown emotional breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, no, she's just overstressed from work. I'm like, no, that woman's been battling bipolar for seven years. Mm. And it's, it's, it's making light of these situations that's also part of the problem. It's, mm. it's your aunt saying, no, um, your cousin is just lazy. We're all, we all get a little bit sad. He's just lazy. It's, mm. it's your uncle being like, no, that's nonsense. That's not a real thing. It's, it's these small things that sometimes you're just too tired to fight that need to be fought every single time mm. because that is the only way anything is ever going to change. <laughs> and I will have full-blown arguments with people who are my friends, people who are, okay, they're not my friends, they are actually my friends, who I care about, who are very intelligent. And I will fight them until they understand because it's that ignorance, that perpetuating of misinformation that makes it so much worse. So I'll fight and then I'll go home and cry, but I'll feel a lot better knowing that I've, I've tried to make even just the smallest difference because I can only imagine someone going through what we're all going through right now, but not having the friends Jess has, not having the parents I have, not having access to the internet like you have so they can actually understand what the hell is going on, not having access to, do- access to doctors and medicine and therapists and just any form of support. Mm. And I can assure you there are millions of those types of people everywhere mm. that don't even know where to start, where to go and who to talk to. That's why I'm grateful for this, these kind of conversations, this, this podcast, hopefully people have internet and the conversation gets to them because it's, it's important. It's life changing. But just you were going to say something while the lady was speaking. I don't want yeah, to lose that point. Sorry. Um, I was gonna say that I think people need to get better at the way they react to that information. So if I say I'm depressed or I'm say I, I'm having a hard day, sometimes I just want to be honest and I don't mm-hmm. want to get into the, all the details about it. But I also don't want you sitting there wide eyed going like, oh, I don't know what to do with that information. And this makes me very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I don't want to talk about it. So just mm-hmm. receive the information like you would receive someone saying I'm fine or I'm good. Just, oh, that's great. Or, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I don't want to talk about it with everyone. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. want to let you know that I'm struggling. I'm in a very bad place to manage your expectations as well as someone in my life you should know that this is where i'm operating at you don't need to do anything about it Mm -hmm. but just don't expect me to appear in all the places you want me to appear don't expect me Mm -hmm. to give all the energy that you usually expect from me but also don't make it worse by saying oh my god that's so terrible tell me more like no just Mm -hmm. receive it and don't <laughs> just react better. That's that's what I want from people. And I think that's also why people hesitate to speak about it because they say something and people 
bug out. They do not know what to do with that information. And then they turn into like robots or they change the subject immediately. And you're like, mm-hmm. did you not like, did I stutter? Did you not hear what I just said? It's, it's information. You can acknowledge it and then move on. You don't need to pretend like it's not happening just because it makes you uncomfortable. So that was the point I was getting at. People need to work on how they receive information about mental divergence, so mental health issues um, or any kind of diagnosis. ADHD, schizophrenia, it's all the same family and we can't have people reacting. If so many people are dealing with this, if so many people are being diagnosed, you can't keep having these backwards reactions to these kinds of things. It's a normal part of life and just receive it, accept it and act appropriately mm. yeah here, yeah, jessica <laughs> i just want to cry the lady she speaks so well she really does but like it also makes me proud because i'm like guys look at my friend <laughs> like these are the look people i hang out with <laughs> these like, are these are the wonderful women i surround myself with i make good choices right <laughs> yes yes no truly and that's why i love this platform that you've kind of created because you like us two can literally chat about the exact same diagnosis we have, but are completely different experiences. And we literally learn so much from each other, just sharing our stories and experiences and opinions that we leave each and every conversation, just feeling that much either better or better informed or like understanding something more. Or like sometimes it's just something really motivating and inspirational. And you just leave there with something. We always leave our conversations with something. Mm. yeah you guys are the gift that keeps giving seriously I appreciate <laughs> you guys we are at the top of the hour but you guys have raised something that I've written a poem about and I wanted to get your permission to share this poem because I think it's very relevant to the conversation that we're having it's a super short poem um, Please do. it's about how people are open are, are, or seldom open to receiving conversations about depression or mental health it's almost like to jess's point you relay this information and people panic like i don't know what to do am i supposed to help am i supposed to hug oh my goodness they're crying this is uncomfortable for me and then you end up being the person having to console the person you were trying to talk to about the and it's kind of awkward you're just like oh my i didn't mean to i just you asked how i was and i was honest and then now we're here and i don't know how we got here so quickly um but Naledi, you also raise a good point. There's so much good stuff here. And I can't believe we're at the top of the hour <laughs> about black families. You know, you guys have had very different experiences. Naledi, you've had, you know, supportive parents who've understood where you come from and they were able to be there for you and help you navigate this time. Jess, you've had a very open family talking about what kind of medications you're taking, how we're working through this. And I'm on the other side of that with the like really far end black families. My grandmother would be like, but your head, there's something going on in your head. Do, do we need to pray? Like, And not to say that prayer doesn't work, but there's a very like, I think that generation went through so much. My grandmother's generation went through so much with apartheid and everything that for them, mental health wasn't, to Naledi's point, top of the list. It was like, how do I not die? How do I yeah. take care of my family? How do I provide for my family? And that's all that they had the time for, the finances for, and the mental capacity for. 
my mom coming into that, I'm from a single parent home. And so for her too, it was the same thing. There's bills, there's other things that she needs to cater for. And so how do how does she stop to take care of her own mental health and then turn around and focus on her children's mental health when there's all these other bills, work, insurance, and these things that she had to take care of. And so now when we have conversations with my mom about mental health, she's starting to open up. But for me, it has been an education process. You know, she'll say something and I'll kind of slightly feel triggered and I'll joke around and say, this is exactly why I'm in therapy, you know, and then she'll recognize that, oh, this wasn't like something that she was just saying. This is something that she's actually concerned about. And we're pivoting the conversation to focus on how I can support her rather than make fun Mm -hmm. of or make light of or say, you know, you should just walk it out because you are better supported. You know, you're in America. What's there to be worried about? What's there to be stressed about? You're safe. You have a good job. And so looking at all the things that she didn't have at my age and what I have now, it's like, oh, why are you stressed out? <laughs> you know, um, for friends, I have really great friends. You guys are like cream of the crop for mental health conversations. I know that I can check in and say, guys, it's been a really bad week. Can we just hop on a phone call so I can just dive deep into some of these things and not feel like it's happening just in my head, step out of my head and be present for the moment. And so with all my friends, I can confidently talk about therapy, talk about the medication, say, this is what my therapist recommended for me. It might work for you because we are working on setting boundaries, on advocating for ourselves. So I'm, um, you know, doing the things that make us a lot more happier. And so I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. But Nelly, you said I should share the poem. Jess, do I have your permission? Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. I'll share the poem and then we'll close out with social links if you guys want people to slide into your dm and be friends hey. with you guys and be like hey you know, i don't have time for that social media is a lot it's okay it's okay we won't, we won't blame you so this poem um i was thinking about what it would feel like if i took my mental health on a walk because they usually say exercise and you'll feel much better and so i'm like you know what if depression was a person and i took depression out for a walk but then i thought about Whenever you present poems like this, people don't know how to receive conversations about mental health. So I started the poem off with a conversation first and then the poem, right? So it says, this is not a sob story. It's not an act where I pour out my heart, mind and soul and you are just not ready or don't know how to respond. So I play the role of apologizing for not preparing you to hold me. It doesn't have to be awkward, I promise. When you ask how I am, I'll respond, okay. And hopefully, when I ask you how you are, you'll say, fine. Then I'll ask to share a poem. And you will respond with enthusiasm to be entertained, and I'll read you the poem. The poem goes, Today I took depression out for a walk. At first, she would not get out of bed, did not want to eat or shower, so I waited for her to finish crying it out and finally whispered, Honey, how about you try to put just one foot on the ground? You can roll out of bed and I promise not to force you to be bright and sprightly. You can even wear whatever you want. And she trusted me. Deep sigh, eyes still puffy from the crying, 
and head heavy from the wishes of dying, but still willing to meet the sun and feel the earth. So we grabbed our water, took another deep breath and headed out for a walk. We had not done this in months and it felt good to be out again in the midst of the noises louder than the voices inside. With the cars swishing by, birds singing praises, the sun embracing me, depression was having a great time too. Being out of the shadows of my mind and embracing the light, she said she would like to do this again. I reassured her that we can always go for a walk whenever she feels up to it. And she said, no, Mpo, not the walk, the being outside together, not hiding, coexisting while attempting to integrate and heal. And I'll reach the end of the poem and you'll say it's a sad sob story, but I'll reassure you that all that stuff is in the past and you will believe me or at least pretend to. That was wonderful. Yeah. I was thinking about it, you know, like sometimes you present all that stuff that's going on with you and people are like, are you okay? What can I do? And you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. It, it was just like, I was just sharing something that happened in the past. So they don't have to feel the weight of what you just shared. And then you can tell that they don't believe you, but they'll pretend they'll be like, okay, yeah, sure. Are you sure? And you're like, yeah, 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 I'm sure. <laughs> and it just goes on. When people ask, how are you? They just want you to say, I'm fine. They don't really want to know most of the time. Some people want to know. You guys will, the lady will go, but no, 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 Mpo. How, listen to how I said my name. Weird, Mpo. <laughs> Called my name That's in the, the American, American accent. accent. So what's happening now? <laughs> how are you? You're like, seriously, I want to know how you are. But thank you so much guys for having this conversation with me i'm feeling motivated i'm going into work and i'm feeling like i want to have these conversations with my customers and co-workers and i feel much better than i did when i walked into this conversation i wasn't having like a massive mental health thing going on but i was a little anxious i was a little panicked i was like "Ooh, is this going to be heavy is this going to be light and you guys have kept it real good you've you've given all the feel good golden wisdom nuggets i i, I really well, delightful people and i don't know if you realize <laughs> but jess and i are a delight <laughs> before we wrap this up do you guys have any final thoughts shares did you want to link your instagram handles now lady i know you have a business and we will talk about it in the next Part about career when we also talk about relationships dating marriage children but any final so thoughts much to talk about. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay I'll, I'll go I'll yeah. go first mm-hmm. um I think just a really great wrap-up is just kind of talk about what you're going through when someone asks how you were doing tell them the truth how they react is for them it sucks for us because eventually it hits us too. But I mean, life is too short for you to be constantly concerned about other people. Like, do what you want to do. If you're sad, be sad. Tell people you're sad. Tell them you're not going to go to this thing because you're sad. If you're unmotivated and you are just feeling numb and you don't want to do things, just tell people that. I think one thing that mental illness and my personality have taught me <laughs> is that um, a lot of things are scary and a lot of things are uncomfortable 
but at the end of the day the only thing you can do as an individual is do the best you can do to survive and be happy we're not here just to survive you survive and be happy and how other people react what other people do that's on them don't limit yourself at how you're really feeling and what you really want to say just based on other people's reactions and how other people are going to feel tell them hey dog i'm sad it's crappy and don't give me that look <laughs> and you, you don't need to motivate you and i don't need you to t- to cheer me up honestly i don't need you to cheer me up i just appreciate you asking how i am and accepting my honest answer so just yeah just make more decisions that are for you truly for you that's going to be my thing of the week my motivation of the week to just make decisions that are truly just for me what does that feel like outside of other people's expectations outside of the roles that i tell myself i play how do i make decisions that are truly just for me without feeling the burden of selfishness because the voices of the people who raise us and tell us that we have to be kind and think about other people almost have the implication that when you do do things just for yourself you feel selfish you guilt trip yourself so you're here doing this thing that you thought would benefit you and you'd be involved in but now you have that voice saying but why didn't you help your friend move why didn't you do this why didn't you text this person back is this really important over and above that person needing your help and so prioritizing and doing things just for yourself i like it Jess, what about you? Final words of wisdom. Following on from what the lady said, life really is too short and it's too short to feel this way all the time. So Mm. get the help, do the thing, go to the therapist, take the medication, go on the walk, do whatever you need to do and start relishing in those little moments of bliss um, because it's, it's not sustainable. You cannot permanently live your life in fight or flight and in the depths of depression. Um, and this is from someone, I, I'm a notorious, like, don't want to take medication and don't want to see a therapist, but I'm still doing the work. I'm still helping myself. So just because I'm not going to your conventional therapist doesn't mean I'm not doing therapy. I just do my own version of it. I speak to varieties of people. I interrogate different sources and I am very introspective about it. So do the things that are gonna shift you out of that. And if you can't shift yourself out of that, there's nothing wrong with utilizing resources available to you. Medication, therapists, professionals, alternative medication, homeopathic um, treatments, everything and anything you need, life is too short to feel like this all the time. And I guess this wraps up part one of our conversation. Thank you so much for being open, honest, willing, and just sharing yourselves in the way that you have. I you know listening to your words both i could feel you like i could feel your essence i think for the people who don't know you they're gonna be like how do i get in touch with naledi how do i get in touch with (laughs) jessica because i need friends like no guys they are my friends i just want you guys to know (laughs) these people are not up for sharing they're just my friends but i will link their socials 
in the episode note. If you feel called to go on Instagram and follow or slide in their DM and continue the conversation from here, find find them, follow them, like their content. Um, and we will be back in part two discussing career because that's a big part of our millennial perspective. So super, super excited, but see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for spending this one hour, almost 20 minutes with us. Um, I'm going to sign out as per normal. Aloha. <laughs>